It's wonderful to be with you this morning and to open the word with you. If you looked in your calendar online, it says that Mike Eels is preaching. Mike has aged considerably since you saw him last last time, I'm sure. And uh, But he has become more fashionable wearing cardigan sweaters, so that's good. Well, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this, this time we're together this morning. Thank you that you give us the opportunity here in this great country where we can meet together without, without uh, fear of getting in trouble with the law. I thank you, Father, that we can, can worship you and your son and uh, can fellowship with one another. Thank you for the Sunday school teachers down there and their willingness to teach the kids. We ask that, that they would be effective and that the kids would learn uh, well the things that you have for them. And we ask for your help as we study the word upstairs here as well, and that you would give me just the words that are necessary and needed, and uh, that we would all learn uh, and grow and become more and more like Jesus through our time together this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Christians around the world today are meeting, and in some places, really in grave danger, aren't they? Some places, they don't have the freedom that that we have here in America, uh, that they can gather. We can gather here without any fear of the the police or CIA or anybody like that coming in and arresting us for, for this reason. And so we have great freedom here, and we're grateful for that. But our, uh, many of our brothers and sisters around the world don't have such um, such comfort there. M- many of our siblings are actually imprisoned right now for their faith. Some are suffering for their faith, physically or otherwise. And in the book of First Peter, that whole topic of of uh, suffering for our faith is certainly um, at, at issue here. And so we're looking this morning at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. And before we get into the passage, I'd like to tell you a little bit about myself and a commitment that I made years ago that sadly I frequently don't live up to it very well. So, I grew up in a Christian home, fifth of six kids, and uh, godly Christian parents. They love the Lord, serve the Lord faithfully. Uh, all five of my siblings are believers in Christ and, and following Him. They all married uh, Christians. I was saved, I believe it was the summer before the fourth grade, I was at my aunt's house, so my aunt and uncle, my uncle, uh, Uncle Tom was a, a pastor. Anyway, I was at my uh, aunt and uncle's house having lunch with my aunt Betty, and she asked if I had ever received Christ as my Savior, and and uh, did so th- that meal over lunch. So praise the Lord for that. And um, I went on, and by most people's standards, I'd be a pretty good kid. Sometimes I, you know, I had a bit of a feisty temper and that sort of thing. In junior high, going in the seventh grade, I took up the sport of tennis. And tennis became a very important sport, or at least a big issue in my life. Just loved tennis, was fairly good at it, became a Pretty good high school player, played one year in college, was a terrible college player. So anyway, but I, I really found that I loved tennis. And in, in junior high, 
I was just whenever possible I could I was playing tennis almost every day after school if I wasn't going uh, to the park nearby to play tennis I would get a ride to the tennis club playing indoors or I would uh, jog a quarter mile to the grade school and we had a shed I could hit the ball against the wall and I hit the I'd hit the ball for two, three hours at a time, and just practice, practice, practice. All my spare money went to tennis. All my spare time went to tennis. Wasn't reading the Bible very much. By most people's standards, like I say, I was pretty good. I wasn't messing around with girls. I wasn't doing drugs. Wasn't drinking. But my reasons for not doing those really weren't because the Lord didn't want me doing those. I was kind of shy and reserved and didn't know how to make any fancy moves on girls. Praise the Lord for that. (laughs) Didn't want to do drugs or smoke or drink, not because God was against it, but because, frankly, it would have been bad for my tennis game. So uh, anyway, I was avoiding the wrong things, but for the wrong reasons, grateful for the Lord's protection in any case. But Anyway, so I was in the ninth grade. I I I was in uh, junior high and lived. Uh, my junior high was three miles away from the high school. And in the ninth grade, I got to ride my bike, get out of school early, and ride my bike to the local high school where I played on the high school team. I thought that was really cool and a lot of fun. So uh, it was uh, approaching Easter time. My parents were out of town, and my older sister, Sonia, was taking care of me. A few of you met my sister, Sonia, and her husband, Brad, a few years ago. But anyway, Sonia was taking care of me, and I told her, Hey, uh, by the way, I'm going to be playing on in this tennis tournament on Easter Sunday. And she said, Tennis on Easter Sunday? You can't skip church on Easter Sunday to play tennis. I said, Yeah, I am, and you're driving me. I was... Pretty cocky young man, wasn't I? So a few days before that tournament, I'm riding my bike and get down to the bottom of the hill uh, where I have to take a hard left. And as I'm turning left, my bike, uh, my uh, tires hit some gravel and boom, my bike lands on my ankle, broke my ankle. My sister says, that's what you get for putting tennis ahead of the Lord. She was a good older sister. Anyway, she was right. That is what I what I got for putting tennis ahead of the Lord. Had a few months to think about about it, and the following fall, I was on a retreat with my youth group from church, and the uh, speakers. I don't remember much of what they talked about, but it was very stirring. And I remember that night. Uh, laying in my bunk, looking up at the ceiling. I had a top bunk, and I can picture the ceiling, uh, unfinished ceiling, so some sort of a cabin. And I realized that I was living for tennis, something that really doesn't matter. You know, a year from now, who's going to care if I want to turn a certain tennis match? Ten years from now, who's going to care if I won a whole tournament? Living for things that don't last. And I I prayed, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been living for what does not last. And uh, I want to live for what lasts. I want to live for you. And I want to be the man you want me to be. And I want to do the things you want me to do. And so you might say I dedicated my life to the Lord. I had a, you might say, a Romans 12, 1 moment. It's not our main passage for the day. 
but I will refer to Romans 12:1 some this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so to present yourself before the and I, I said, Lord, here I am. I want to live wholeheartedly for you. I'm, I'm giving my life to you to do whatever it is that you want to do. So that was that was a very important. The fall of 1981, very important. Yes, I know that was way before a whole lot of you were born, but that was an important time of life for me, of giving myself to the Lord. Like I mentioned earlier. There was a commitment that I made years ago that I frequently don't, don't follow up on and don't live accordingly. If uh, Romans 12.1 is me putting myself on the altar before the Lord, a living sacrifice, this living sacrifice, sadly, I pull myself off, off the altar frequently. And I have to apologize to the Lord and confess to the Lord and, and say, Lord, here I am. I, I, I want to give this day to you. I want to steer my ship. I want to move in your in this direction, and that's that's uh, something the Lord wants for each of us to make to 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 say, Lord, I'm not just satisfied with being saved and a ticket out of hell and a a, a, a stairway to heaven. I'm not just satisfied with that, and neither are you. I want to live wholeheartedly to to aim that way towards you, towards your will, and we're going to be thinking about. Steering our ship about living um, uh, according to the will of God and, and living wholeheartedly for Jesus, for God, and His will. So, First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when they do, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So first, uh, so again, the, the idea, the title, if you were to look on the website where it says that Mike Eels is preaching, the title is Living for God. And that's a good title, Living for the Will of God, Living for Jesus. And so it says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. And so therefore relates to what's earlier in the book. And in verse 18 of chapter 3, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He was crucified for us. He suffered for us in the flesh. And so it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And so... There's that word, arm yourselves. And it's a picture of going to battle. 
if you were a soldier and you were going to war, you'd always have a weapon of some sort, wouldn't you? You'd always want to make sure you were armed. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of armor that, that believers have and also the, having the weapon, the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. And so we want to have uh, be armed with the weapon that God has. And in this case, we arm ourselves with a way of thinking of all things, not a physical weapon, a way of thinking. And that way of thinking is the same way of thinking that the Lord Jesus had. And when the Son of God came to earth, he had a way of thinking, and what he was thinking of was, I am living all out, going all out for the will of my heavenly Father, even though it means suffering in the flesh. And he knew all along. There's a song by Michael Card, and it um, it's about his birth, but it says, And in the stall a cross he saw through the first of many tears. Very old song by Michael Card. In the stall, a cross he saw through the first of many tears. So uh, just speaking poetically of the fact that when the Son of God came to earth, he knew what was ahead. There was no surprise. It's not like God God the Father said to him, hey, uh, by the way, now that you're there, you're going to go to the cross eventually. (laughs) No, he knew all along this this was the plan. And we need to have that same way of thinking of living for the will of God, even if it means suffering. Now, we're here in America. Like like we've thought about already, we're not in danger of suffering physically in a grave way for our faith right now, right? Probably no one's going to come in the door and arrest us for being followers of Christ. We face... Some persecution, but not like a lot of Christians around the world. You know, we, we might get mocked a little bit. Probably, probably a lot of us have been mocked, made fun of, maybe miss out on some opportunities for certain jobs or whatnot. But for the most part, we're not right now, as we are right now, in danger. Who knows what the future holds, right? I've heard of even in Canada pastors being arrested for preaching against homosexuality. Will that happen in America? Maybe. Could well be. FBI, are you listening? (laughs) Yes. God hates the sin of homosexuality and the transgenderism. Jesus is the only way to salvation. We could... Give a long, I, I, if, if they were to find some of my old sermons, I'd be arrested in a moment. Hello, officials, here I am. God hates sin. My name is Keith Leverance. <laughs> anyway, they'll, they'll come and get us. They'll have a lot of ammunition for us. But at this point, we're not, but, you know, I, I got to thinking, why is this passage in here? a book that is a lot about how to deal with persecution. And now he says, have the arm yourselves with this mindset. And I think if we arm ourselves, if we dedicate ourselves, if we say, Lord, here is my life, one thing that that is doing, it is in our own minds identifying us 
as followers of Jesus Christ. So that if someday we are arrested for our faith and they say, we'll let you go if you'll just renounce Christ, we'll say, no, I've already given my life completely to Jesus Christ. I've surrendered to him. This life is for him and not for me. So if you take it away, fine, no problem. I get to go and be with the Lord. But we've already identified ourselves and set ourselves up so that if the trouble does happen... We already know who we are and that the, the fact that we are followers of Christ, even if it means some sort of suffering in the flesh. So arm yourselves with this way of thinking that the Lord Jesus had, which includes following the will of God, even when it means suffering in the flesh. So as to live for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There's a few different views um, of what this, what he's getting at here. And so we'll just move on to, and, and uh, that are held by very fine Christian scholars, non-heretical views. Doesn't mean they're all right. There's only one correct view here of what he's getting at. But um, don't want to get, don't want to miss out on the main point. Arm yourselves with the way of thinking as Christ, who, who For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The rest of our time that we live in the flesh, that is, as long as we're here on earth, physically living, we want to live for the will of God. Live for the will of God. And Jesus, when he was here on earth, You read in the Gospels, he had a huge focus on living for the will of God. I'd like to share with you several passages here from the book of John. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Who sent him? His father, he says, John 4:34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm seeking the will of my heavenly father. Chapter 6. Starting with verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I came to do the will of him who sent me, he says. Chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own initiative. Even the things he taught were of the Father. Chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. 
So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You see that Jesus is really living for the will of His heavenly Father. You see that especially strongly at one specific scene. Maybe some of you are already thinking of that. On the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows what's about to happen. He's very soon to be arrested and on a a false trial and will then be crucified and all that goes along with that. And he's thinking of that. He's thinking about the pain and the suffering and being forsaken by his heavenly Father. And he thinks about what's ahead. And he says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible, may would you please do that? Would you please release me from this? He says, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But then he says, not my will, but... Whose? Thine. Not my will, but yours be done. And so he's even at that point, and most pointedly, most powerfully, we see that he is living for the will of God. And so must we, First Peter chapter 4 here, but also a couple of verses in the Gospels, in uh, the Gospel of Luke. See, living for the will of God is not only for Jesus, it's, it's for us as well. In Luke 9, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so he says, deny himself. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily. The cross was a an object for execution. Do we have any crosses up here? Right, right there, right? Oh, and they're right there. Yeah, that's right. That's very nice, isn't it? I mean, if you were to touch that, that wouldn't hurt at all. It wouldn't be prickly. Uh, you're not going to try to get that down, are you, Keith? <laughs> oh, there we go. Thanks. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. Excellent. Forgot about that light. But if you were to touch that, it wouldn't hurt at all. It's probably really smooth, you know, probably you'd rub your hand on there and think, oh, that's so nice, very smooth and comfortable. The cross of uh, Jesus was not a comfortable thing, was it? It was not meant for him to hang there and think, this is really nice. Look at the good view. I'm looking down at all these people. I can see a long ways. He's enduring incredible suffering physically and much more than that as well. It was a, 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 a horrible, horrible place, and it was a, a, a humbling place as well. And we're told to take up our cross daily, knowing that, yeah, that could be physical suffering, but missing out on things that the world might think is fun or or what what have you give, giving up things like time or money or or energy or what have you but to take up our cross daily to follow him he says Luke 14 Luke 14 
Starting with verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So you see how strongly Jesus wants to be the center, the focus of our lives. He wants to be a number one in what it's all about, that everything else is almost seems like it seems like hatred in comparison. Obviously, he wants us to love everyone, including those closest to him. But he's saying in comparison, it seem like hatred. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. I'll go down in verse... 33, therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He wants us to renounce all, to live wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ, to put him at the center of our lives. Back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Back to 1 Peter 4. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Uh, that is, that living for the will of God, even if it hurts. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And he gives a list of various sins. The time is past that that is the sort of things that would be appropriate. If you're without Christ, if you're apart from Christ, if you're unsaved and you don't care about the Lord, okay, it kind of makes sense to do those sort of uh, wicked and sinful activities. But that's the time, that, that time is past. That is, that is over. It is sufficient for that. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So when I was in high school... I was uh, on the tennis team. I, I still kept playing tennis through high school and a year of college, like I mentioned. Uh, but I was playing on the high school tennis team. One of the guys on the team, his name is Gary. He's a good guy. He wasn't meaning to, to, to be mean or anything, but he, some of you don't know what a cassette tape is. <laughs> but I, or a Walkman. You remember Walkman? I had a cheap version of a Walkman. And Linda says, of course it was a cheap version, Stefan. <laughs> it, was a, it was a cheap version of a Walkman. And uh, this uh, Gary on the tennis team looked at the, the Walkman. What are you listening to, Stefan? wasn't Aerosmith or Van Halen or something like that. He said, Keith Green. Hmm. Are you a Quaker, Stefan? You're a Quaker. No, not a Quaker. He kind of just a little bit of making fun of me. When I was uh, when I was Lynn and I were engaged, I had a few months between finishing college and driving out to Dubuque for the wedding. I grew up near Seattle, so I was staying with my family, and I got a job working at some cafe. And some guy I worked with there, we started talking about our story. Oh, you're. You're engaged. Oh, okay. And somehow, I don't know what the conversation was, that I was a virgin and engaged. And he said, what? 
How can you be a virgin and engaged? That doesn't make any sense. What, you bozo? And uh, just teasing me endlessly. It went on for a number of days. Anyway, that's pretty, that's pretty tame compared to what some people face, but they will mock us, they will malign us, they will make fun of us, uh, because of the things we won't do. I read some commentator said this. Unsaved people do not understand the radical change that their friends experienced when they trust Christ and become children of God. They do not think it strange when people wreck their bodies, destroy their homes, and ruin their lives by by running from one sin to another. But let a drunkard become sober, or an immoral person pure, and the family thinks he has lost his mind. That's kind of true there, isn't it? There's a lot of truth there. They will make fun of us. John 3. John, back to the book of John, chapter 3. Starting with verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. As long as we are in the light and living accordingly, the world isn't going to like us very much. Sometimes it's it's distressing and tiring to hear how the world speaks of Christians because of various things. You know, we we uh, hate abortion and we we hate the sin of transgenderism or whatever the uh, the thing might be that that's out there and they they hate us for being against such things many of them do and it's tiring but we can know the bible says that's going to happen it's not surprising and when uh you think of well you think of this passage here you think of the book of first peter Christians are scattered about because they are um, running from persecution. Even still today, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. People in this coming week, Christians will, will die for their faith in Christ. Christians will be enslaved and tortured for their faith in Jesus Christ. It's frustrating. It uh, sometimes uh, brings about, I think, a, a righteous anger when we think of of uh, some of the things that are going on. When I think about, I think about abortion, and this year is the 50-year anniversary of Roe versus Wade, and over a million babies have been killed per year over those 50 years. Think of all those little ones would be well, they'd be a, many of them would be full full-grown adults by now. I think about the. Well, I keep bringing it up, but the transgender movement, I just, it's, it's astonishing to think. I grew up in the state of Washington. There is a law going through right now. It's gone through the House of Representatives there that says if the six, seven, eight year old child, a boy, biological boy says, I want to be a girl, and his parents say no, the teacher, the the social worker, the doctor can take the child away legally if this law goes through, can take the child legally and do the surgery 
contrary to the people's, the parents' wishes. It's, that's how bad this is. And it, it, uh, I've seen some videos about, uh, with, uh, with, with doctors and such talking about this undercover, uh, undercover videos, and it just makes my blood boil. And I think there's, and, and I want people to be, to, to feel punishment, to feel judgment for, for this. And sometimes I think, I shouldn't want this. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't want for people to, to, to suffer. And then I look in the Bible and, and the desire of, of, not that I'm so godly, but, but there are godly people in scripture, quite a few places who desire for the wrongdoers to be punished. You see that quite a bit it been in the book of Psalms. You see it in the book of Lamentations. You even see it in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation of all places. I'll read you a few verses in the book of Revelation. If you ever feel bad that you want judgment to come to wrongdoers, the book of Revelation, verse 9, um, yeah. Uh, sorry, Revelation 7. Sorry, we'll go to chapter 18. I think I have the wrong verse written down there. Uh, we'll go to chapter 11, verse 18. Revelation 11, verse 18. The 24 elders who sit on the throne are worshiping, verse 17, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints. The, your wrath came. Chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. Chapter 16. And I heard the angel. This is in heaven. An angel. So this is an unfallen angel saying, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you have brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. This angel is rejoicing over some pretty harsh judgments. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12. Then the dragon be, no, I'm, I apologize, that's not the verse. Um, anyway, we won't bother looking that up, but know this, that when we, oh, Romans chapter 12, that we are in good company when we desire for there to be, for there to be, uh, justice. In Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 17, it says, repay no one evil for evil. So when we are, infuriated and angry about sins of various sorts. It's not our job to take revenge. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, but if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we can actually... Be glad to know that God is going to repay everyone because and God is going to repay and because everyone will be judged, we can be glad for verse six. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. 
believers in Jesus Christ, who heard, people who heard the, the gospel and got saved, who have since passed away, that though judged in the flesh, they have died, the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And we can rejoice that the gospel was preached to us. And I speak to you as if we're all believers in Jesus. I speak to you as if we all have taken advantage of what Jesus did on the cross as He hung there and He suffered and died. As He died there, He became sin for us. He who despised sin. You think of the worst, whatever you despise the most, Jesus despises sin far worse. He hates it, and yet He took our sin upon Himself as He died for us. He loves His heavenly Father more than anyone that you and I love. And yet He was forsaken by His heavenly Father as He hung there on the cross. Yeah, He endured the physical torment as well, and all that went with it as He died for us so that we could be saved. And if you're not sure that you're saved, you can be saved today. And I or one of the others here would be thrilled to talk with you about how you can receive the great gift of salvation. For the rest of us, let's have that mind of Christ who lived for the will of God, even knowing that he would suffer. Well, in thinking back to living for Jesus, I'd like to, to think about uh, a, a different scene. I mentioned the scene when I was, uh, I was a ninth grade, I was a sophomore in high school. It was the fall of 1981 when I committed my life to the Lord. A couple years later, I was having a conversation with a really close friend, a Christian, a, a, you know, a fine Christian gal, and uh, I asked her, have you ever dedicated yourself to the Lord? She said, no, because I know what's going to happen. I'm just going to sin the, tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and it doesn't make sense. And she was partly right. One, she was right that she would sin. You and I would sin. We've got a daily battle going on with it. But, and she was also right that living for Jesus and living wholeheartedly for Him is not, a, not just a one-time thing. It's, yeah, it's placing yourself on the altar. It's, it's offering yourself a living sacrifice, but it's also a daily thing. Remember, I read from Luke chapter 9, carry your cross, take your cross daily and follow me. But also, I found it helpful to, on that day in the fall of 1981, to make this first time commitment to the Lord Jesus. And it identified and cemented in my mind that I'm seeking to follow him the rest of my life. Sadly, I'm sinning all the, not all the time, but sinning so frequently, coming down off of that altar that I sacrificed myself on, that I placed myself on. I crawl off the altar frequently, but I confess my sin and he forgives me. Well, the Lord has given us a a day that's easy to remember. Can you remember three numbers? Four, 23, 2023. Pretty easy to remember that, right? Four, 23, 2023. And this could be the day where you first commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where you first say, Lord, you died for me. I'm so grateful for that. I want to live for you. And do a Romans 21 
uh, Romans 12, verse 1, offering yourself a living sacrifice and saying, from now on, I surrender all and I want to live for Jesus. I brought a hymn book up so I could just read you a line or two from number 605, one of my favorite hymns, Living for Jesus. Number 605, we're not going to sing this. But living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please Him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thy atonement didst give Thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be Thy throne. My life I give, henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. Dear Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he did come and die in our place and they did, he did suffer for us and that he paid the full price, the full penalty for our sins so that we could be freed from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin and even someday from the presence of sin. We look forward to that day and say, come Lord Jesus, quickly come. In the meantime, Lord, you want us to live wholeheartedly for you. Uh, all out for for you to live for the will of God. Remind us of this. And Lord, we, we pray these things. We pray, Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee for you in your atonement that gets, gets give yourself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. Amen.